Hey, Peyton, hypothetical question. If you were looking for somewhere to take care of your balls this holiday season and not have them nicked up, how do you think you'd handle that? Well, I would definitely go to Manscaped because if you want to take care of your balls, then I highly recommend for you guys to get the Perfect Package 4.0. In this Perfect Package 4.0, it's a kit and it comes with these included. It comes with the Lawnmower 4.0, which is an all new skin safe electric trimmer. Comes with the LED light on there, uh, rechargeable batteries. Very good stuff if you wanna, you know, take care of the crown jewels down below. It also comes with a crop preserver, anti-chafing ball rodent, which I absolutely adore. With, also, it comes with crop reviver ball spray toner. You combine those two together, glorious. Not only to mention, it comes with a magic mat, or what they call a magic mat. It's basically just a disposable shaving mat that you can put under your feet. That way, once you're, you know, taking care of your business down low, and you just put it on the mat and you just throw it in the trash when you're done with it. And also, it comes with two free gifts. It comes with a travel bag so you can put, put all your stuff away pretty easily uh, if you're traveling. And not only to mention, it comes with the Manscaped boxers, anti-chafing boxers, not to mention. Josh, all this stuff is high-quality stuff. So you're telling me, hold on, you're telling me there is a product out there, the Lawnmower 4.0, that has an ergonomic feel to it with an LED light that also they throw in in this package a ball deodorant and a ball toner that makes your balls feel nice and toasty? Yes, you indeed heard that correct. And they went ahead and threw in a mat, so no clean or fast cleanup and no mess. Exactly. Peyton, not only if there was such a company out there, that had these wonderful products and if there was only such a code out there we get everything 20% off and free shipping worldwide well lucky news we have that here at manscape because if you go to manscape.com and when you're checking out make sure you use promo code ECB for 20% off and free worldwide shipping Everything College Basketball listeners, what's going on? It's Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And I'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling. You guys can go to YouTube.com, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, give us a subscribe. We are over a 1,000 subscribers now, and we have achieved a YouTube partnership if you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us, and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to Everything Pro Wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All of the live streams are transferred right onto there. But enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball. again and welcome everybody back to another edition of the everything college basketball podcast i'm of course josh burton my name is peyton burton. and this is episode 91 and for those racing fans we like to call this the former tyler herb turbo episode so welcome to the turbo episode of the podcast peyton coming off the heels of last week tyler could rejoin the show it was a fun episode if you guys haven't listened go back to the archives listen to episode 90 
But it was a fun one, right? We talked about coming into Big Ten play this week and a lot of action that we're going to get into, which, by the way, conference play in this early December is stupid. I think it's the dumbest thing. Uh, if you remember, like, three years ago, two years ago, I think it was. It was the COVID year. Louisville started off first game of the season. We played Miami. So we started off conference play literally game one of the season. But that was due to the ACC network getting – um, announced and they just wanted to start off the ACC network off hot. So I get that. But yeah, conference play, conference play starting early December, just I never understood it. I don't like it. Um, I wish they change it, but unfortunately, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Especially, what's the point of playing two, three games and then waiting three or four weeks and pick up back conference play again? I mean, as everybody knows, you know, teams change throughout the year, whether it be by just off to slow starts and they get better. Maybe they're young teams. It takes them a while to develop. Maybe there's injuries. But now if you have to play, especially some of these teams had some big conference games and you lose and you're behind the eight ball because you're a developing team or you had an injury situation, it, that's going to come back to haunt you potentially at the end of the year when it comes to the conference overall, you know, regular season, trying to win the conference, set you up for a better seed in the conference tournament postseason. Imagine if you were a young and talented team or your star player was injured during an early December conference clash and you played well enough, but just not good enough to win. And now you're behind eight ball and you lose the conference by a game because of that. Yeah. Going back to that Louisville game, I just mentioned the Louisville for sure Miami game. We actually had to go at Miami and that was when Louisville was a top five team. And yes, we ended up blowing Miami out on their home court, but it would have hurt tremendously if we had a game one of the season if we would have went out Miami and ended up losing that game, it hindered our chances, especially late in the season, to win the ACC conference. Um, but yeah, I, I agree, especially for these top teams who have big time conference um, conference games. It's uh, I don't like it. Wish they changed. They're not going to. But I think it's personally, I think it's dumb and it's unnecessary, especially if you play a conference game early December and then you just go back into playing a couple of non conference games and then you start picking up conference play again. Makes no sense. Yeah, completely dumb. Peyton, um, as we're going to talk about here later on as the show progresses, I'm starting to wonder if there is not a number one curse yet again, because if you look at the AP polls, we've already going on the well, uh, this upcoming week, we'll make three new uh, number one seed, number one teams in America. If you remember back a few years ago, number one seed was popped curse. around more than kernels in a hot pan, right? Making popcorn. Um, you remember Michigan State started number one. Kentucky beats them. Kentucky first game was number one, loses. Duke takes over. They lose. Louisville takes Louisville, over. Louisville, they lose. It was just a hot potato. So far, AP-wise, we're going on number three inside the first month. And if you look at the ECB top 25, those will be number four because we had UCLA, then it went to Gonzaga, then Duke. And as we're going to talk about, there's going to be a new number one. So be curious if this new number one on Monday – can hold the spot for a while, or if it's just going to be a rotating door of college basketball parity. I think it's going to be another year, like we mentioned a couple of years ago when I was playing hot potato at number one. I don't think it's going to be that to an extent, but this new number one team, we already know who it's going to be. It's going to be Purdue. Um, once they get the number one spot, they're going to go back. As soon as they get it, they're going to go back into the conference play in the Big Ten. And so, I mean, Big Ten's not doing too good right now, but there's still talented teams in there. They're going to lose – and um, I, I do think they'll eventually get it back. But as of now, yeah, hot potato for the number one spot, no one's safe right now. 
So before we get into, I know you've got something special. I'm going to allot you the time to do. People who've been around for the show for the past four years have heard me do it a time or two. You did it last year. And a lot. well, go back to year one. I have had a couple epic rants. I did. Um, and you've done one before. So it's nothing new. It's just been a while. Um, so I'm going to give you the allotted time for that. But Peyton, before then, we do have some breaking news this past week, not necessarily today, but this past week that came out that really shocked me. And I know a lot of everybody else. Maryland Terrapins have agreed to part ways with head coach Mark Turgeron in the middle of the season, not even the middle, the beginning of the season. Um, Maryland, if you remember, they were in our top 25, highly rated team. Um, were they in their top? I have to go back and look now. They were either there on the outside looking in. They were on the outside looking in, I believe. But they were a very highly rated team, bringing a guy like Fats Russell, Quidos Wahab. They, they've dropped a couple maybe that they shouldn't have, or in the case of the Louisville game, Louisville just kind of outplayed them, but still a good Maryland team. And for him to just kind of, they said mutually part ways, it tells me one of two things. I don't, I'm not trying to speculate, but I guess in a way that's what I'm doing. If you're a coach and you've not heard any rumblings, like no investigations, no scandals, to me it says two things. The first one is I hope not, but there's something wrong with Turgeon. Yeah. There's some health issue while he's stepping away that he's keeping it pub or keeping it private. Okay. And he's stepping away. Number two is there is an underlying scandal that none of us know about that they want agreed to basically like, Hey, if you resign, we'll keep it, you know, under the table. Right. Instead of, but if you're going to fight it, we're going to make it public and drag your name and all this other stuff. We've seen that in sports before, right? It comes out later on, but it's kind of the mutual like, Hey, Go ahead and agree to resign and we'll keep this under the table. So to me, unless something else comes out, those are my two speculative issues because why on earth would he leave a month in month with a good team? It wasn't, I think two years ago, it was at one point, I think it was top five team. They had Anthony Carroll on the team who was a superstar um, continuing with the Big Ten Conference. I, I know she don't know. I'm not sure what the record is right now. But, yeah, they gave Louisville a game in the Bahamas Championship and damn near almost beat us. And it's it just mind-boggling. I don't understand why, especially one month of the season. The Terps are 5-3. and three. That's not bad. They've dropped their last two, but still. I mean, I mean still, they played Louisville. Um, who's the other loss? Their losses are the bad loss to George, George Mason, Mason, right? They lost Louisville and lost Virginia Tech. That's those are two, both respectable. Those are two decent teams in the ACC conference, mid-pack. That's not terrible losses. Um, however, it's uh, it's going to take some time before we can find out, like, why, like, what exactly happened. Because, like you said, the original press, uh, the press release said that they mutually parted ways. But I also heard some some rumors that he, he, they didn't part ways that they just actually just fired him in general. Um, so, yeah, I, it's going to take us probably a month in, maybe a couple months to find out exactly what happened. Um, but hopefully it's nothing, obviously, bad. Yeah, and we wish the best for Terzon. From all, uh, from all accounts, he's always been a pretty good coach, right? Um, yeah. He's done a decent job recruiting at Maryland. He's kept their held above water, NCAA tournament team, sweet 16 here and there. But the question to be begs, Peyton, before we move on to anything else, um, interim coach who they just brought on this season, which was a great hire, by the way. Um, you talk about a big man guru. They bring in Danny Manning, um, who spent one year after his firing from Wake Forest in, in the studio. They bring him in, great hiring, um, big man guru. All them big men at Kansas for a decade. 
Danny Manning, they all gave credit to for working with them, fundamentals, um, and you've seen the progress. So, And it's no surprise, honestly, why Quadoswell Hobbs off to a good start this year. Mm-hmm. But Danny Manning's interim coach, he takes over. He'll fill in for the rest of the year. If I'm Maryland, I'm going to throw this out there now. If I'm Maryland, you don't want to do nothing drastic now. Let Danny finish out the year, right, continue to recruit. As soon as the season's over with or even at the end, depending on how their season plays out and how this man's season plays out, there's one name out there that I go for. At least he's my first attempt. I'm going for Slick Rick because Rick Rick Patino, I know he says Iona is – I don't buy that from him, right? That's not his last stop if he has the option to go to a bigger, more prestigious club. You already see the what he's done at Iona. You've seen him make tournament last year and give Alabama a run for their money. His first year. You see him bring in four-star kids and grad tra- or transfers from other high profiles. You've already seen him knock off Alabama again this year. And he's going to have a tournament team and a team that could they'll be a 13, 14, 15 seed again, but they're going to be dangerous. Yeah. In two years, he did that at Iona. What in the hell would he do at a big time club like Maryland that has good tradition? has an NCAA national championship under their belt, and he's got a bigger recruiting budget than what he has at Iona, and he's going to be in the Big Ten, the premier conference of college basketball year in and year out. It's a match made in heaven you put him there in College Park. If I'm Maryland, I have under-the-table discussions with Rick. Okay, let's just get through the season. We won't hire nobody. Soon as your season's over with and our season's concluding, We'll bring you on, get you ready for next year. I agree. I think he is the one and only call by the season ends because, like you said, Iron is going to be another tournament team, um, and whoever they face in the tournament is going to be a potential upset on the horizon. However, um, I do agree. I think that him at Maryland would be great, but not just him because, obviously, I don't buy it as well. I, even though he said Iron is his last stop, I don't believe that because if a top-tier – program, especially a pile six conference, if they come calling, we'll come knocking at his door. He's going to answer and he's going to at least listen to their offer and potentially take it. So, and plus he's never coached in the big 10 before going back 20 years ago in 2000, 2001, 2002, around that area before he took the Louisville job after he came back from going to the NBA and he was coming back to college coaching before he took a Louisville job, he was going to take the Michigan job. Um, but ultimately he decided not to and come to Louisville, but He's wanting to be in the Big Ten Conference. He's coaching the Big East, coaching the SEC, and he's coaching the ACC. Um, Big Ten is probably the next big conference out of those schools or those programs or conferences, excuse me. However, I think we'll see. I think Danny Manny's definitely a great hire, by the way. Um, Speaking, how about this for a segue? This is how you know you've been in this business for a while now. How about this for a segue? Going from Rick Pitino to his former employer – in the college ranks, we're not talking about Pantaniakos in Greece, but his former reporter in college leads us to Peyton's rant he wants to go on. So the floor is yours, sir. This is only going to be like a five-minute rant. I'm not going to time myself, but I wrote this out a couple of days ago after we got beat by Michigan State because I felt like I needed to do this. It's been a while since I've done a rant, um, so let's go ahead and do this. Um, starting off, I have found myself – in four years of Chris Mack being the coach at head coach at Louisville, I have found myself now, a month of the season, starting to question Chris Mack and his style of play, offensively and defensively. 
Um, ever since he got here, besides the first two years, because obviously I'm talking about Patino, his first team that Chris Mack had was basically Patino's team. Mm-hmm. You had Jordan Nora, you had Malik Williams, Sutton, Lightning Man. Those are all the guys that Patino recruited and got to Louisville. And he still made the tournament and ended up getting beat by Minnesota in the first round. So I'm not going to talk too much about that. The second year, we had a top five, top ten team all season long. We was going to make the tournament. And it's going to be like a definitely a lowest probably a four seed, highest probably a two seed. Um, but that was the COVID year. So scratch those two first years for me. Year three is where he starts to get the guys that he wants to get. He starts recruiting in these grad transfers like Carly Jones. He gets the guys from last year's team or the uh, second, the COVID year, like David Johnson starting to play well. So besides in last year, we missed the tournament. The main reason we missed the tournament because we couldn't hit the shots. We couldn't hit three-point shots. We shot 25.6% from three last year, one of the worst in the ACC conference. This year, coming into this year, we went and got guys like Matt Cross and Noah Locke, who, quote-unquote, is supposed to be classified as a shooter, but they're both too inconsistent. And that's more on the players. That's more on Cross and Locke. I can't fault Chris Mack for that. That's more in cross and lock, just not coming to play and just not being consistent enough to hit the outside shot. Um, but with that being said, everything that we do, and I mentioned it on my live video after the Michigan State loss, just giving my thoughts after the game, and I mentioned it then, I'll mention it now. No matter what we do, for me personally, I'm always going to compare us to our biggest rivals, Kentucky. So let's go ahead and see what Kentucky's done. Because last year, Josh, you know better than anyone. You had the same problems we had. You could defend, but you couldn't hit shots. And your offense was very stagnant. And you just wasn't really one offense at all. So what you guys do, what did Coach Cow do this year? He went and got guys like uh, Kellen Grady from Davidson, 2,000-point scorer. C.J. Frederick, Frederick from Iowa. Yes, he's out for the season, but he's still a lock and knockdown shooter from Iowa. Shot like 45% from three last season. Um, and then two years ago, when he got him back for this year, Davion Mintz from Creighton. All those guys, 40% or better from three-point run. Incredible. And not to mention, those are just the transfers coming in or that they got or Coach Cal got. Not to mention the guys that he personally recruited, like a Ty Ty Washington who stretched out his shots. He developed, I know a lot of people don't like talking about Coach Cal and his developing skills, but he developed Keon Brooks into now being a little bit more of a knockdown shooter. So he went and now they, they don't have that problem anymore. I think every game you've shot at least 36% or better from three. It's ridiculous, and we're just, we can't get those guys, and I don't understand why. Our defense alone will probably get us to march, but our offense is going to determine how far we go. Jalen Withers needs to play more aggressive. Mike Rutherford posted it best on Twitter. He keeps playing at half speed. That's the number one thing he has to change. He needs to be a Dre Davis who just goes hard no matter what. And if it means setting Jalen Withers and starting giving the guys like J.J. Trainer more minutes, then I'm all for it because we got to send a message to these players who think they're just going to get playing time just because, you know, they're very talented or the media or whoever is giving them praise. We got to hit shots. That's our main thing. Um, we just got to hit shots. We're going to be a tournament team, I think. But as of now, a month in the season – we we struggling against North Carolina State in the second half. Um, 
And then the whole stuff with Vince Tyler and our program, mostly for the football program, it's starting to come down on us. And it's just, it's not a good time right now, but hopefully a month into the season, I still have my hopes high and um, we'll see what we do in conference play. But that's, we got to hit shots. We got to play harder. We got to make some changes in the starting lineup. I think me personally, to end this off, I think the starting lineup should be Jared West, L. Ellis, because he kept us in that Michigan State game. He played a little bit. He played pretty well in the NC State game. Um, I'd start uh, Dre Davis as a three or four. You can switch them. Matt Cross and Malik Williams. I think right, right there, all those guys are going to give give you your hundred percent. And um, that's all I got. I mean, it sucks. Yeah, I I get that. Like I said, for those who've been with us for a couple years now, uh, you've heard me angrily go in on Cal Perry and Kentucky when deserved. You've done one on Louisville in the past. Um, And that's why I think it's fun because we're fair. If we're going to rail on other teams and programs and put our own over, we're also going to rail them too. Yeah. And some people, I think, on the contrary, be like, listen, it's only a couple games in. And I get that. But – I'm glad you um, acknowledge that this has been building for a little while no because problem. the Louisville system and the way Mac maybe misses out on certain guys and whatever. So I appreciate that. I do think Louisville will be fine. I do think, as you mentioned, we've kind of talked about defensively, they can be elite. Um, I don't know where they're at in Ken Palm. I can probably pull that up and adjust the defensive. Um, they are to the 18th. Yeah. They're a top 20 defense, and that sounds about right. And I've said that before. So. They're a top 20 with potential of being a top 10. Yeah. The way they can defend, the pack line shrinks the floor, everything. But offensively, they do struggle. They are 86th in offense. So you can see the big disparity. And it does remind me, in a way, of Kentucky last year. Kentucky had a pretty good defense, could not score the ball. Louisville goes in stretches, they can't score. So I see the frustration. I do think, though, you're going to be fine. I think it is just a matter of hitting shots and not hitting shots. Um, but, yeah, hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Peyton, before we move on and start doing the recaps, though, um, two things. We've got to give some love to our counterparts in college football. Today was just the release of the college football playoff. Fun times ahead for college football lovers. I know most people that love our sport, college basketball, are fans of college football as well for the most part. So a little love there. Top four was revealed on that. Uh, should be a fun, you know, semifinal games. You got number one, Alabama versus number four seeded Cincinnati Bearcats. And then two, Michigan versus three, Georgia. That'll be fun heading down the line. We might do something fun for that, uh, a little side contest or something. I don't know yet. Maybe. Um, and then bowl season's coming up. Everybody loves bowl season. So it'll be fun. I'm curious to see where Kentucky goes in that. Um, all signs are pointing towards playing a Big Ten school in the Citrus Bowl, which is a huge um, deal, you know. Uh, New Year's Day Bowl, so that would be fun. And Peyton, of course, we got to give some love to our sponsors. The first being Manscaped. Josh, Christmas is just around the corner. Matter of fact, Christmas is in 20 days. That's exciting news. So if you want the best best products for your crown jewels below, you got to go to Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped has just launched new products, including the all-new Ultra Premium Body Wash, and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. I've had times where I've done, I've used the shampoo and conditioner, used it yesterday, used it this morning as well. High-quality stuff. Love the way it smells and love the way it feels on my hair. So with that being said, it's time to give yourself or 
someone who needs it, the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. With that being said, head over to manscaped.com and use code ECB for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use code ECB. Fellas, it's time to clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. <laughs> and let's let's clarify, we are not giving balls to anybody. Like, Manscaped doesn't promise you, if you don't have balls, we're not promising you're getting balls. It's just for those who have balls that we're going to freshen them up and clean them up and have them nice, smell good. I think in that promo, it, it made it seem like uh, we're going to give you balls. We're not going to give you balls. But those who have balls well, will take care of them. It says beautiful skin, hair, and balls. So beautiful has skin. Beautiful I know, hair, I know it's balls. the way it sounds, but it's funny. We are not disclaimer though. Manscaped does not give you balls. It protects them. It cleans them. It makes them nice and nice and feel good. It makes them smell good down below. It, it makes it all. But manscaped.com ECB at checkout for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And like Tyler Cooks, Tyler Cook said last week, don't let your dinky be stinky this holiday season. That's right. Take care of them chestnuts. Don't let them roast over an open fire. Make them sure they're nice and cool and clean. Manscaped.com. Um, and also, we got to give the love to uh, JR Own Company at um, New View Painting. Yeah, New View Painting. I almost said his old company. I, I've done it so many times. New View Painting. Hit up JR Own Company. What a better gift than to give somebody to have their house or business or cabinets or anything nice, a fresh coat of paint and let somebody professional do the job. Hit up JR Road Company at New View Painting on Facebook. Find his contact information there and set up an appointment. Tell me CB sent you. With all that out of the way, Peyton, let's go ahead into looking back at this past week's action. We had the Big Ten ACC Challenge, a couple massive games, and of course, a couple big-time non-conference games as well that we need to go over. Let's start with the number one team in the land, just the newly promoted number one team in college basketball for the week coming up. We had number one Duke on Wednesday night, or it was Tuesday night. Tuesday. On Tuesday night, go to Columbus, Ohio, to play a, a struggling, I would say, Ohio State team, kind of reeling. And Chris Holtman's club came up large in this one, holding home court. Ohio State 71, number one Duke 66. Peyton, the story of the game really was three-point shooting. Yeah. Ohio State shot 40% from three. All while, they even shot only 50% from the charity strike. They had more turnovers. It's a weird one if you just look stats alone, but EJ Liddell came up massive in this game. This kid is a candidate for me. You're talking about a Naismith Award. He's up there, I, I believe. It is uh, All season long, Ohio State's been iffy, but he is not. He has been solid since the first game of the season where they beat Akron to, they, to now when they beat Duke on their home four. He has been the consistency that Ohio State needs, and now they just need more players to step up to help him uh, as well. But, yeah, and he, he had this. Uh, Key had 20 points, three rebounds. Um, Allen's had seven and six. Wheeler, who was my Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, had seven, three, and two. Um, the three-point shooting definitely was a huge factor in this game. You mentioned Ohio State shooting 40% from three. Duke, not so much. Uh, they shot, I think it was 29. Yeah, 29% from three. 
they have not shown they can hit the outside shot at they all. The season. one game against Gonzaga, exactly, they that's shot it. pretty decent, right? Yeah. I think the big deal with Duke is we know Bancaro is going to get his. Um, how many end up with on the night? I don't have mine in front of me. He had 14-5. So 14-5, and five, a, a good but pedestrian night for him. But Peyton, it's the supporting cast. Like, I think Wendell Moore, he, he actually led them in scoring, right? 17. Yes. He's probably been their overall best player. Like, no, maybe not best player, more, most consistent. We'll put it that way. Yeah. He's finally showing up to be the five-star that we thought coming into college a couple of years back. He's been more consistent. If you watch him, he's more aggressive. Peyton Duke, I think, is going to go as far as Trevor Keels plays. And he had the one great game against Kentucky. He went for 26, 27, whatever it was. Looked unstoppable. But since then, he's looked very, very if, like um, I don't know normal. What yeah, Normal, average. Average. And it's not to say he's bad. It's not like he's doing anything wrong. He ended up with nine, three, and three. But, he, you know, he only hit three shots from the field, including one of four from three, two turnovers, two fouls. He was just kind of there. He had a plus-minus for the game of five, which is good because you still want to be in the plus. But I don't know. Um, the, the Trevor Keels we saw against Kentucky looked like a lottery pick for sure. But since then, it's just kind of he's – He's there, and I think Duke, if they're going to win, if they're going to make the Final Four and potentially win a national championship, he's going to have to be great. He, he, he can't be pedestrian. He has to be great because when he's great, it makes Ben Carroll and Moore even better because you have a point guard who can go unstoppable at the rim like a running back as strong as he is, can hit threes, open up the floor, and open up everything else for everybody else. So I think their problem is having Trevor Keels be outstanding at all times. Well, he peaked in the first game, like you said. He had that 25-point game um, against Kentucky. But ever since then, he's been struggling. hasn't been as good as he was the first game. Another key thing in this game for Duke, they was in their starters was in hell of foul trouble. You have four of your five starters with four fouls. Theodore John fouled out with five fouls. So I know a lot of people is complaining about the foul situation. And they're not very deep either. They're not. They're, they're definitely not. They play not. eight dudes. Yeah, they yeah they play eight dudes. And the fact that you're really four, seven because yeah, Griffin's not really played much. You no, know, he only played two minutes in this game. Um, former four star, but yeah, they're not very deep, and that's a bad situation when you have four of your five stars in foul trouble. Plus, one of your biggest. Um, uh, bench guys, Theo John coming off the bench, he had five fouls. So that's basically six guys right there. And that just goes back to Trevor Keel's struggles because they're only playing eight dudes, a lot of times seven, because Griffin plays under 10 minutes a game. They don't have another point guard. They're, yeah. they're, if Keels is not playing well, not on the floor, Jeremy Roach has got to be your point guard. And yeah, that makes for a big Duke lineup. But coming off the bench, if Griffin's not the guy that can slide in and play the one and give Keels a blow, then only other people they play is T.O. John and Joey Baker, and they're front court guys. Yep. So where is Duke going to find point guard help for Trevor Keels? Or if they don't, Trevor Keels has got to be outstanding like he was Kentucky. If not, we might have overvalued Duke a little bit. Maybe. Um, it all depends on the player, like we said, um, of Trevor Keels. Because Paul Bacero, he's going to get his. Um, I know he didn't have, like, the best of games, but he still did enough. And at one point, we're forgetting Duke was up like 12, 14 points there. And then while State made a comeback, hitting shots, and uh, Adrian Liddell, 14 to 4, 
there were six assists, uh, 14 of 14 with six assists, excuse me, um, kept them in this game long enough that they ended up making a comeback and ended up coming out with a dub on their home court. I think we're talking about undervalued. We might have maybe, you know, talked a little bit or too highly of this Duke squad. But one thing that we definitely, definitely undervalued so far in the season, it showed for a lot of these big-time games, we undervalued home court advantage because we didn't get it much last season. Thank you. We did not get it much last season because COVID was still lingering around. There wasn't a vaccine yet. And the clouds was maybe like 15, 20% full um, capacity-wise. So we didn't get the feel of home court advantage. Gonzaga, those two big-time games they won, it was on their home court. Villanova or UCLA when they beat Villanova was on UCLA's home court. Ohio State beating Duke was on Ohio State's home court. And go back to – I didn't mean to cut you off, no, this is a great point. I was going to bring this up, actually. So home court is back, and I think it plays a big factor. You mentioned all these games. Go back to even earlier in the year. Gonzaga smacks uh, Texas at home, yeah. right? We've seen home court be a factor in ball games. Not even that. Marquette beating Illinois was at Marquette. Thank you. Um, so I do think it holds some weight with fans being back and a little bit more lively. It, it holds weight, which is nice to see. So that's score one in the win column for the Big Ten. Let's go to the number two, the, soon to be the new number one team come tomorrow night or whenever you listen to this on Monday. The Purdue Boilermakers played host to Leonard Hamilton's Florida State squad. This matchup, we thought it would be a physical, grinded out, nasty uh, type ball game. Yeah. When I and I seen a, a tweet, I think it was from him. I'm gonna give him credit. If not, I apologize. But our good friend Michael Hunter of the ACC report, he tweeted out during the middle of this game. At what point does uh, Florida State feel weird that they're not the bigger team? Because Purdue was massive. Purdue held home court in Mackey Arena. They beat Florida State 93-65. I don't know where to start. One, the fact that. Purdue is averaging over 90 points a game. Yeah. Do we start there? Do we start the fact that they held Florida State to 65? I don't think that's as big a deal because Purdue's always been great defensively. Or the fact that a Leonard Hamilton Florida State team got beat by almost 30. I understand they're young and they're figuring out. And by the end of the year, they're going to be way better than what they are now. But they went up there in a game that we thought that could really challenge Purdue. And for the first half, it was fairly close. And then Purdue put the clamps in the second half and absolutely whooped ass. The Boilermakers are the real deal. I know they put Duke, but you go back. Who was I screaming for you, number one in the country? Purdue. Purdue. Who looks like the number one team in the country? Boilermakers. The Boilermakers. Who's going to be number one team in the country? Matt Painter. (laughs) (laughs) Purdue. Peyton, where do we start? They absolutely walloped Florida State. Two things. Uh, 48% from three-point line for Purdue. They shot 25 attempts from three-point line, hit 12. That's number one. Number two, uh, reboundings. They dominated the glass against Florida State, which that's so weird to even say. Because Leonard Hamilton, you mentioned that they got size, athleticism. They're normally a very good rebounding team. But they got dominated on the glass, 34 rebounds for Purdue to Florida State's 22. Those are the two things that stick out the most right now, looking at these stats and watching this game for me. was a three-point percentage from – or the three-point barrage by Purdue and just dominating the glass. Yeah, and if you watch this game, again, Jaden Ivey just does John Morant stuff. I think he is John Morant. Um, he had 18 to lead the way. 
Zach Eady down low. This Purdue team is deep. This is – we talk about Duke being lacking depth. Purdue plays a shit ton of people, and they all play and they all contribute. This is the most complete team in the country in a potential um, Naismith candidate and Jaden Ivey. Zach Eady puts in 12 and 4. Um, how about the freshman Caleb first with nine and six? Isaiah Thompson was tremendous against Florida State. He was outstanding. He had a couple – he went – I don't think he missed a shot. He definitely did not. He went four of four, two of two from the three-point line and two of two from the foul line. He was tremendous. It's obviously, Stefanovic. The point is, I can go over the stats, but Purdue just whooped up on Florida State and solidified why they're number one. And how about this? The number one rated offense and adjusted efficiency right now is the Purdue Boilermakers. They just tucked the mantle from Gonzaga. So you have a Purdue team that is holding teams to about this, about 60, 65, and scoring over 90. They've essentially got a plus 30 margin of win. Wow. That's ridiculous. Standing. That is unreal. That's almost like what Baylor did last year. In the season, they can hit shots, uh, but the difference is, I mean, yeah, Baylor had Jared Butler, and he was a star player. Kim, keep talking. I'm gonna he look at superstar I'm do player the math real quick. But Jay Nivey, he's a pro player for Purdue, and um, it's wild. The, 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 the fact that they just overtook Gonzaga, who's known for the offensive uh, paralysis on um, offense, it's a, uh, it's something to be, it's something to be um, aware of. And not only they can can they put up 90 points per game, but they can also hold you to like 60 points per game. Uh, it's honestly it's ridiculous. 724. They are what's eight no eight no. So 724 divided by eight. They're averaging 90 and a half a game. And this is taking account what they did on Friday against Iowa. Yes. Okay. It was their season low of 77 points a game, but we'll get there. So they're averaging 90 and a half on the season right now. All the while giving up. Uh, da, 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 da. 65, 52, carry the one, minus the eight. You guys go no general math, right? Yeah. I should have had this figured out already, but this kind of came to me because I thought this would show up on Ken Palm. So divided by eight. They're giving up six, rounded up 65. They're averaging 90 points, giving up 65 for a plus 25 margin. 25. We talked about Gonzaga last year when they were averaging high 90s, almost 100 game, and only giving up 65, 70. And you look how good Gonzaga was last season. Purdue's the best team in the country. There's a clear favorites to win the national title this year. A month into the season, I'm ready to say that. They're the actually clear favorites to not only win the Big Ten Conference, but to win the national championship. The first time in history. And it's going to be the first time in history that they're going to be number one, Correct. Correct. Think of all them great Purdue teams. They never reached the number one mantle, but they will on Monday. Now can they hold it? We talked about the number one curse. Moving on, that's two, score two in the win column for the Big Ten Conference. Let's go to the game that played before that, though, and arguably maybe the early season game of the year. I loved watching this. Up in the Carrier Dome in a two-overtime thriller, Syracuse 112, Indiana 110, what a ball game. Syracuse absolutely needed this. If you go back to my preseason predictions, I had the Cuse win in the conference. They got off to a slow start. They lost some gimmies that they probably shouldn't have lost. But this showed in a way what I've seen in Syracuse coming off this. 
the the Beheim brothers were tremendous down the stretch. Buddy hitting some shots, going isolation one on one, and they put on a show. Uh, Buddy twenty seven, Jimmy twenty six, and then you got twenty two from Joe Girard. So their um, essentially their backcourt was dynamic. On the Indiana side of things, they found themselves down by I think as many as seventeen at one point in the first half. Battled their way back, tucked the lead, fought and scrapped. But at the end of the day, Indiana put 20, what, 26 turnovers, I think it was. Does you, do you have the box score pulled up here? Uh, 26, 26 turnovers. You can't win ball games doing that. Absolutely not. 26 turnovers. Both teams shot well from the three-point line. Um, it was a classic game. I, for those who didn't watch it or didn't see the highlights, it was a classic game. Indiana was plus 15 on rebounds against them as well. Yeah. Trace Jackson Davis, tremendous. Another 30-point game. Uh, he ended up with 31 and 16. My Race Thompson, 17 and 12. And Trace Jackson Davis did most of this in the second half. They put him short corner. They get the ball in the middle of the zone, and he would die for either a dunk or a, a hook shot. He's a national player of the year candidate as well. He's putting huge numbers up. But the kid I want to shout out to Indiana in this game is uh, Miller Cox. The transfer from Northwestern goes for 28 and four, hits four of nine from the three-point line. He was tremendous. He's got a great bounce to him. He's a little bit more athletic than I remember at Northwestern. I saw coming into Indiana, can pull up off the dribble. He's strong enough. He can post you up. Don't – I'm not saying this is who he is. Please don't quote this and say this is who I'm saying. But think of like – if this guy who I'm comparing him to is the the Ritz Carlton, like the top of the top, because he is, think of Miller Cop as this comparison as the the uh, local hotel chain that's not even like a Best Western, right? Yeah. But the way he plays, similar in a way to Clay Thompson, very similar. Nowhere close in the skill, nowhere close in the talent. But if you just watch the way he can pull up and dribble, he's kind of wiry. He's got a high release on a shot. He's a sneaky defender. He'll rebound and stick his nose in. He's tough. He's like not even a dollar store version of Clay Thompson. I'm not saying that, but think a step lower. But he reminds me as far as like his ability and play, the way he uses his body. He, he was tremendous. I think he's a huge asset for Indiana. That's fair. I can definitely see the comparisons between him and Clay Thompson. Um, I was, as soon as he was talking about this game, I don't know if y'all can hear me, but I was kind of laughing because, yes, I did say Syracuse was going to come out of the dub, but I just want to let this be known, unless, especially in the first month of the season, everything I've said has been the complete opposite of what's actually happened in reality. I said Ohio State was going to lose to Duke by 20 points. They end up winning 71-66. I said Syracuse is going to beat Indiana. Yes, they did. But I said this game was going to be low scoring, low 70s. And the game was, went to two overtimes, and both teams scored 110 apiece, or 112 to 110. Ridiculous. Um, oh, Syracuse, this is definitely a team that I was expecting coming into this year. Yes, I had them finishing. I think it was fifth. In my ACC rankings, Josh, I know you had them winning the conference, but this is the team I've been waiting for. Buddy Boheim, Buddy, Buddy Beheim lit it up, and his brother did as well. 27, played 50 freaking minutes in this game. He's so calm and cool, too. Five steals, getting it done defensively. He had four fouls, but and that's another thing. Foul trouble definitely hurts Syracuse because Cole Swider fouled out. Edwards fouled out as well. And obviously, I mentioned Buddy Beheim had four 
to his name, but Joseph Girard played big as well. 44 minutes, 22 points, hit five threes. If this Syracuse team can defend, uh, especially t- make teams turn the ball over like they did against Indiana, and some of those might have been like unadvised. Oh, some of those were shot clock. Some of those Indiana just skip pass and they go sailing in the eighth row. Yeah. And speaking of real quick, Syracuse tried to give this game to Indiana late. They tried everything. Um, Indiana makes a run. Syracuse some ill-advised turnovers, passes themselves, or bad shots. And then Indiana, I don't remember if it's into regulation or into the first overtime, has a chance to win. Ball score, everything's in their favor. And they don't even get a shot off, essentially, if I remember that correctly. But great game, early season. What fun up in the Carrier Dome. Good lesson for Indiana. Syracuse desperately needed it. Score one for the ACC. Let's move on, Peyton, to Wednesday night in East Lansing. Number 22, Michigan State 73. Unranked Louisville 64. This is a game that was close early, but at the end of the day, Louisville's inability to hit shots. And Michigan State being tough-minded, as always, was the big difference in this one. If it wasn't for Dre Davis, Malik Williams, especially L. Ellis with like six to go, who just hit like four threes in a row, ended up 22 points, we would have got blown out by 20. Um, our defense, it wasn't – the uh, first half of our defense was actually pretty damn good. I would say that. It's just Michigan State was hitting some tough-ass shots. Gabe Brown hit a couple threes early on in the first half. And I was just like, I don't know how the hell they went in. Um, he ended up ending with 10 points, hit two of the uh, two three-pointers. Uh, Malik Hall came off the bench three for three from the three-point line. He's normally not a three-point shooter. Um, I, obviously, after this game, I was definitely pissed off, but I was happy. If I could take anything away from this game, I'm happy that we battled our way back. Most of that was due to LLS, but I was hoping we – I was happy we never gave up. We kept battling and kept battling. And with, like, Josh, with only, like, two minutes to go, we got the lead down to, like, eight points. It's just turnovers hindered our chances of coming back in that game. We had 16 turnovers. Yeah, Michigan State. They still have turnover problems as well. They had 19. But some of those turnovers for us personally was late in the game where we was making a comeback and we just either drive it in um, and travel or just throw it away, just doing stupid stuff, not running good offense or getting a shot clock violation. Our offense has to play better. Um, Got to hit shots. 26. We shot 27 threes and hit only seven. That's 26%. Michigan State's not going to hit shots like they did all season long. That was kind of like a one-game deal. 10 of 18 from the three-point line for them, 56%. I don't, I don't expect them to do that for the whole season. However, I do think Michigan State's winning a share of the Big Ten Conference. Yes, Purdue's the best team in the conference, but I'm still high on this Michigan State squad. They can even hit 36, maybe more percent from three-point lines like that and keep defending and keep dominating the glass. This Michigan State squad is going to be really good. Yeah, I'm with you. I think stay. I think Louisville's a learning experience. Not too many people go up to the Breslin Center and win anyways. The fact that you pull it back within nine might be a consolation, but yeah, I think it still showed fight. I love Dre Davis. I don't care who he suits up for. I love the kid's energy. You guys would really be in trouble without his production. Where is – we're going to put an alert out again for Samuel Williamson because – we got excited, thought he was going to be good because the season he started out. But here lately again, where are you, Samuel? He's, you're like you're like a shooting star. Where are you at? He's the new. He's my new VJ King. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's got a lot of pressure. That same class he came in. We we just talked about Wendell Moore stepping up finally as a junior. Um, Keon Brooks has been doing it at Kentucky. 
Where is Samuel Williamson at? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, Mason Faulkner, I don't not I do not like watching him play. He just he had eight points, but man, he only had one turnover, so I can't fault him on that, but plus minus negative 16 or 17. He's just he had one good game against oh, that's awful. He had one good game against, I think, I don't know, it, I think it was that Mississippi State game in the Bahamas, but he's just he's not it. He's not a good point guard for us. And I don't I hope he's his minutes gets to wear it a little bit. Minus 17 on the floor. Jesus Christ. That is awful. Noah Locke was minus two for the game as well. Um, you guys are gonna have to get that sorted. Either he's gonna have to start playing well, or you're gonna have to bench him and play another person at point guard. Ellis has got to start, and you're going to have to – I don't know. Probably Ellis because West plays point anyway. So, I don't know. Locke's going to figure it out. That's I good. think he's hurting me right now. We got to make some changes on the starting lineup. He had no. no points in 25 minutes. He couldn't even go get a free throw. No. He no, didn't even shoot a free throw. He didn't get to free throw line. He only shot two three-pointers, and that first one he shot, he clanked off the back. He was just – he, he was there. Jalen Weathers had seven points, played 19 minutes. I took, we came in the season and thought he was going to be leading us in scoring. He's just not going hard enough. Before we move on, um, Gabe Brown, I don't know, he had 10 and five in this one, but that's kind of who he is. He's really played well, I thought, to start the year for the Spartans. I thought he's played well to kind of compliment. He is that typical Izzo, you know, older guy playing well and you got to give Malik Hall as well and how about AJ Hogger I thought he's been tremendous so far this year coming off the bench for him yes 100% he's definitely uh he's improved so much from last year to this year so score another one for the Big Ten Conference let's move on to another one uh same night on Wednesday night after a Louisville game down in Chapel Hill we had UNC 72 number 24 Michigan 51 what the hell is going on with Michigan right now and conversely Good job for North Carolina. They needed the win. They've played a tough schedule so far, and they look really good on they look really good on Wednesday night at home. I overvalued the overhyped Michigan coming to the season. I'll be honest, I did. Well, I thought, we did too because we had them sharing the, yeah, with Purdue. We had them pretty much one and two. We had them a little bit flip flop, but still, I definitely, me personally, I'll admit it. I definitely overvalued this squad, and uh, I don't know what the deal is to be honest. Um, I've watched a couple of the games now. Uh, they, I mean, thirty-one percent from three. That's obviously not good. And North Carolina just obviously last year could not hit shots as well, I and mean, the year before that couldn't hit shots, but. 42% from the three. Um, they won the rebounding battle, 37 to 33. Uh, turnovers, Michigan had 13 turnovers. I'm actually not sure what the deal is with this Michigan squad. Well, I'll tell you on my end what I think it is. Look at Hunter Dickinson. He had a tremendous freshman year. Now he's on a sophomore slump. 18 minutes, four points, five boards, as big as he is against the North Carolina team. The really on competition he had to go against was Armando Baycott. He can't score around the rim right now. He cannot score. They're taking away his left hand. And even when he goes back to the left hand, he's not hitting. His hook that he was so good with last year is not falling. And then you have the freshman. I mean, it's not Caleb Houston's been bad. 8.7 boards. That's pretty good for anybody, let alone a five-star freshman. But him, um, they're just not cohesive. Eli Brooks is sporadic at times. Musa Diabate had a good game, 11, or is that 13 points? 13. 13 points, three boards for a big-time freshman. But Peyton, between them, their bench, Brandon Johns, remember last year he was pretty productive, five points off the bench. They don't have a bench that's worthy of scoring. They're like a worse version of Duke right now. They yes. don't play in a whole lot of people, but they're not getting the production off the bench that Duke's getting from their guys. And then your your star center isn't scoring and doing as well. So I think it's easy to see. Not even that. 
the whole starting fire, the whole starting lineup, the plus minus, they all was in the negatives, all in minus. Jones had was minus 25, Hunter Dickinson minus 14, minus 13 from Musa Debate. Actually, and, nobody was in the, the plus minus category except for a couple the, role like, players, like deep off the players, bench that yeah. played like two or three minutes. Yeah. So all their main guys were way in the negative. Carolina just ran them and beat them up. Um, how many threes did they hit? Uh, let me see. Let me pull it up. I don't think it was too many. Was it? Was it? A, eight of 19. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, they hit quite a few. Eight of 19. I think with Carolina, you're starting to see um, Hubert get a little bit more comfortable on the sideline. It, it, by the way, it's cool to see. He's been at every game, basically. I remember they played at College Charleston. He took the drive to South Carolina to go watch them. He's been at their tournaments with them. He's been at the home games. He's following and like he's like their biggest fan in the stands. That's really cool. I love that. I love that. He's there because of course he loves the university, loves the players because those are guys he recruited. And of course Hubert Davis, he loves him. So that's cool, man. Um, but Carolina's starting to turn around. Uh, Brady Manick off the bench is playing better. Between him and Dawson Garcia rotating in and out that five spot, you got two big time guys who could shoot the ball, spread the floor. That's helping. R.J. Davis has been really good so far. And uh, Caleb Love is starting to turn it on. 22 in this game. He's starting to turn it on, be explosive like we've seen as a, you know, coming in as a freshman last year. This backcourt's getting better. Carolina's starting to form an identity. I think they might be the second best team in the ACC right now behind Duke. And maybe if they continue this progression, they could challenge, man. Their defense has gotten a lot better. Uh, first couple of games, the defense wasn't wasn't really good, but they held Michigan, a uh, top 25 Michigan team, to 51 points. That's incredible. Shut Michigan down. And then also they was hitting shots as well. That was the biggest downfall last year, like I mentioned. They couldn't hit shots. So if they can start hitting some threes and the defense can keep getting better and better, I'm loving the way Caleb Love's playing here lately uh, to start the season off. Him and R.J. Davis has been playing pretty well so far. So if they can hit shots and defend – I think they're up for the conversation. Definitely top three. But I think they're maybe can give Duke a one for the moment. And look at Armando Baycott in this game. 11 points, 14 boards, um, three assists on top of it. He's starting to play well. I, Carolina's pretty – we're going to find out a lot about him in two weeks when they play in the CBS Classic against UCLA and Las Vegas. We're going to find out a lot about Carolina then, um, what kind of team we've got on our hands. Peyton, let's start wrapping up these uh, recaps. The Big Ten wins the challenge 8-6. to six. They got off to a start 6-2 six, against six, ACC. Uh, Atlantic Coast Conference rallied a little bit, but ultimately Big Ten wins three straight now. This three straight years win the challenge. They win 8-6. ACC's uh, not down, but they're not as good as we've seen them in years past. I'll put it that way. Um. On Friday night, though, Kansas played a true road game up in New York against a, a good St. John's team. I don't think people value how good they are. It was a close game. St. John's kept it close, even had the lead a couple times. But the final was six minutes, seven minutes? Yeah, it was six or seven minutes. Final six or seven minutes, Kansas blitzkriegs them, goes on like an 18-3 to three run to end up winning 95-75. This game was closer than the scoreboard shows up until then. But the Jayhawks, Peyton, Christian Brown, Oche Abaji, good nights for them. Funny, if quick, I'll make this quick. Uh, funny little story here. We was at the Edinburgh High School game watching our, our local high school team play. And um, so we couldn't really watch as much of this Kansas game. But as soon as after the varsity game was over and me and you was in the car, Gary, you didn't drop me off. I checked the score of this game. It was 64-61 Kansas lead with like seven to go. And I posted it in the group. 
From that point on, I only lived like two blocks away from the high school. As soon as I got home, fixed me some food, took my dogs out. I checked the school again. It was 78-61 Kansas. Christian Brown went off. 31 points, eight rebounds, four assists, 10 of 16 from the field. Remy Martin, 12 points. That's fine. Let's give some love to him. I'm hard on Remy Martin, but he had a solid game. Yeah, 12 points, two boards, five assists. Five turnovers. That's got to change. It's got to be better, but he did have a plus minus on the floor of 11. Um, I think he that that's more than what he probably needs to be. Yes. Have a two-to-one turnover to assist ratio. Hit some shots when you got them. Um, he only took seven shots from the field. I still would like to see him take more because he's known to be a scorer because there's going to be a game Candace absolutely needs him. But, hey, he had a two-to-one turnover assist ratio, so I'll take it. Yep. Or, no, I'm sorry. You had said five turns. He had a one-to-one. Uh, so yeah. that's got to be better. I'm sorry. He, I was looking at points assist. So, yeah, that's definitely got to be better. But even still, I'll still live with that for now. Turnover's definitely got to come down. You arguably want your point guard to two-to-one. But I'll, I'll let him slide. I think he played a decent game. Yeah, he, he didn't play bad. Gave him a climax, 16 and 13. Obviously, Otero Baji, 23 and 7. This Kansas team is trying to full good. Oh, yeah. I, I think they're finding their footing. Um, I think that uh, – who, who beat him? I just lost last it was week. was a Dayton. Oh, that's right. I think Dayton, Dayton loss was more of – It's a wake-up call. Yeah. Uh, St. John's still been good. I think St. John's is a tournament team. I love Julian Champagne and um, – Posh Alexander. Posh I think Alexander. they're as dynamic duos we'll see in college basketball this year. But Kansas 95, St. John 75 in a true road game. And then last night, we slept on this. We owe Alabama and Nate Oates an apology because especially me. everybody in their right mind up in Seattle. So it's essentially a home game for Gonzaga, right? Yes. Not Even though not official, technically a neutral game. But that's that's like Duke when Duke or Carolina plays in Greensboro. It's not a home game, but it is a home game. It's a home game. It's like Indiana playing in Indianapolis. Yeah. Right? Game was in Seattle, called the Battle of Seattle or Battle for Seattle. And we thought Gonzaga, because Alabama, we know they're good, but we mentioned it last week previewing this, their defense hasn't been what the defense was of Alabama last year. Alabama's defense last year could match their offense. That's why they were so dangerous. That's why they won the SEC conference regular season and conference tournament. Yes. Offense can score, defense struggled. Gonzaga's worst place to play or worst team to play if your defense is struggling. But I'll be damned. Nate Oates and company comes out. We thought Gonzaga would be pissed off that they got beat by Duke. And they struggled earlier in the week against Tarleton State, old Billy Clyde Gillespie's team. <laughs> and we thought they'd just roll Alabama, but like their football team, being the underdogs, they came out and whooped some ass. You Alabama 91, Gonzaga 82. <clears throat> I do, again, what's more impressive, the fact Alabama won, the fact that they put up 90 on Gonzaga and won? I, I don't know. But Jaden Shackelford has a career night, 28 points, nine boards, two assists, goes six of eight from three. Unconscious. Absolutely stroking and lit up the Zags. Gonzaga defensively could not handle Nate Oates' pro-style offense. And, um, yeah, the fre- how about Javon Quinterly, 17, the former Villanova transfer. Charles Bediaco fouled out, didn't he? Or, you know, he had four. He got four at foul trouble late. But uh, seven and eight holding his own underneath. Keon Ellis, the big-time freshman. And how about um, J.D. Davidson off the bench? 20 and five. Five-star point guard, 20 points off the bench, athletically um, nasty, this is a great performance by Alabama, and I think it's a wake-up call. Defensively, if you still look, you're like, well, you gave up 82 points. They just outscored them. 
But yeah, got it. Gonzaga's going to put up on a bad night like this. They're going to still put up 80 on teams. Yeah. So if you took this against a normal team, they're holding a normal team to 60. So I think if Alabama's defense starts to pick it up like we saw last year, this is an Alabama team that is dangerous. And how freaking good is the SEC this year? I'll tell you what. I've done this in the past. I'll admit when I'm wrong. I like to inform a public apology to Nate Oates and his Alabama squad. Start of the season, I think we kept them out of the top 25, even though there's a lot, even though the media, they was definitely top 25 good. But that was due to me. I just, me personally, I didn't like this Alabama squad coming into this year. Nabari Renette was supposed to be on the squad. He toys ACL. He was out for the season. Nate Oates and his post-style offense is all about guard play. So I thought that might hinder him there. But especially SEC Conference, I didn't expect them to do well as well, do well anyways. But however, they proved me wrong. Josh, there's a threat to Kentucky on the top of the throne. Oh, dear God. Yeah, there's more than one threat. That's why I say the conference is loaded this year. Conference is right behind. They might – I think they're the number one conference. (laughs) They're the best conference because Big Ten ain't it. ACC is not good as well. Pac-12 and Big East and SEC is legit this year. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about the SEC here in just a minute. But great win for Nate Oates and company. And I've seen yet again – he said it last year – when Alabama was great, he said it again last night. Uh, Kentucky sports beat writer Kyle Tucker tweeted out, he goes, again, he goes, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not the exact quote, but essentially he goes, again, like I said before, he said, when Calipari's done at Kentucky, Nate Oates better be your first, second, and third call because he's proven that he can go down. Any, he won at Buffalo. He win, he's winning Alabama, who's obviously a football school. He'll go to a big time, whether it be – Kentucky, Kansas, whoever, NATO, he's a winner. He can recruit. He has a system. Why wouldn't you want to go play for him? You're seeing four and five-star kids going to Alabama basketball again because you got the green light to shoot the three, you got the ability. He wants to get up and down and run and put people away. You'll defend. He'll get you in the pros. Why wouldn't you want to play for NATO? Alabama's here. As long as he's there, Alabama's here to stay in the SEC. And I'll tell you what, especially last night, don't fuck with Alabama, especially if your last name or your nickname's the Bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't they don't mess around with that shit. I'm gonna pull their schedule up real quick. How many board bulldogs do they got? Mississippi State at least, right? Well, yeah, at least Mississippi State. But I mean, again though, pay Alabama Nate Oates, what a performance by we all count them for dead in this game, right? But man, put an ass whooping on uh they was up 16 points at halftime. And Gonzaga did what they did. They was hitting some shots and they ended up fighting their way back. But um, I stand by what I say with you, Timmy. I know there's a conversation in the group about it. Well, really I good say you agree with me. I brought it up. You, well, yeah, but you know, I took it a step further. Okay. And uh, talked about some stuff. I think if Jew Timmy was in the Big Ten Conference, I think he would be an average player. Yes, he has great footwork, but it's shown in the past as proof in the pudding with what happened in the Baylor game, what happened, especially in the Duke game. Didn't really watch too much of this Alabama game because we was at a high school game, uh, supporting a member of our Facebook group. Um, if the proof is in the pudding, when he faces guys, Front court players, or not even that, just people in general who's more They're physical. Just nasty than, to it. Just more physical and just be a, basically a bully to him. He backs away from it and he just does it. I don't care what the stats show. Of course he's going to get numbers. Of like, course he's going to get numbers. But that doesn't, so that'll be like transition, or maybe he'll have a mismatch or something. He'll go to score or whatnot. But it's, yeah. yeah, I don't know. 
I, I stand by what I say that if he was in the Big Ten or I, especially the SEC conference, could you imagine Tennessee beating him up down low? Yeah. Kentucky, Oscar Sheboy beating him up. He still has nightmares from Baylor. He's still, it's still a lingering effect in the back of his head what Baylor and Mark Vitale. All I'm saying is, all I guess what we're both saying is that he's a good player. He might even be a great player, but when he plays, he, you see him do the mustache and you see him do all this stuff. That's when players are – he can bully up and he can – even if you don't bully him up like against Miles Johnson from UCLA, he was able to just footwork him to death and he's having a good time. But when he plays dudes who are physically not going to take his bullshit like a Mark Williams or a Mark Vital or any other Mark you know in the post, right? <laughs> Marky Mark. That is going to physically grind with him and you have guards who can dig down, he's not doing the mustache and the flexing because he can't bully you. No. And that's all I'm saying. That's what we've been saying now for a year. Other than that, when he plays somebody who's not like that, he'll put up 30 and 25. It's as simple as that. And unless he learns to hit a jump shot that can stretch the bigs out to make them worry about something else, they're just going to keep – they're like, all right, let's go to the post and see who wins this fist fight. Let's see. Because I'm going to win. Let's see how that footwork plays out when I'm pitting my arm right in your chest. Drew Timmy, if he wants – especially if he ever wants to be a pro in the NBA or professional overseas – he needs to learn to hit a at least a 17-foot jump shot. I it's gonna take that. He's gonna have to learn to hit a mid-range jump shot. Because yeah. as of now, he's not even close to a pro player in my eyes. No. Good college player, great college player. Great college player, matter of but fact. But he's gotta learn how to hit a jump shot or else the mustache don't he's got to adapt and hit and you know add some stuff to his game. Alabama, they do play Mississippi State a couple times and Georgia, so you can count those as losses for Mississippi State and Georgia. <laughs> well, they you know they got some tigers on the they got Memphis Tigers. Oh, they know, got a big big week Florida. coming up. We're gonna talk about that and you can't sleep when exactly. Colorado State's really good dude. they got a tough schedule you look at Alabama's schedule um you know Iona they lost to Drake could be yeah they could be okay in the Missouri Valley Miami's not the greatest in the Big East beat Gonzaga they got Houston Memphis coming up I know Houston is what they are Houston's got the number one defense in college basketball you know that really I Ken Palm number that. one Colorado State's really good just beat St. Mary's this weekend yep um maybe the best mid-major in college basketball Maybe. Colorado State's phenomenal. And then they go into SEC play, and their first two games in the SEC are home to Tennessee, away at Florida. They got a tough schedule, man, and I'm with you. We'll talk about it. Remind me to explain why the SEC is the best here at the end of this. I and then remember. And, okay, so that was it for the – actually, you know what? Before we go into previewing this upcoming week's slate of games and start wrapping the show up, the SEC, um, Peyton, they're the best. They're the best. I know their their bottom teams are not very good, but even the worst teams, Georgia beat Memphis. <clears throat> yes, they beat Memphis. For whatever it's worth, Memphis. Ole Miss beat Memphis. Uh, um, yeah, Ole Miss. Beat Arguably Memphis the worst team in the conference is Missouri. They're terrible. They scored what nine points and a half or something. Jesus. So take away some of those. Take away Georgia, Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, etc. But look at everybody else. Ole Miss just beat Memphis. Right, they're sitting here at six and two. Tennessee, Mississippi State, Florida, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Arkansas—all very good teams or quality teams. Ken Palm normally has the uh, the strength rating up. I wonder if they've got that up or they're going to wait for the conference. They put conferences up against each other. Uh, well, right now they have SEC and the ratings third behind the Big Twelve and Big Ten. I disagree. I do. By by strength, the eye test. I think SEC is number one. I do too. I agree. I think they're number one, and they're not too far behind. 
Big 12's got a plus 16.93, Big 10 16.38, and the SEC a 15.43. Then it's a huge drop. The Big East is fourth with a 12. So it kind of shows how close everybody is. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think the, I think, look at this. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the top 50 of adjusted offense. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten teams in the top 50 in defense. What? That's ridiculous. That's wild. What? Look at everybody's next upcoming game on Ken Palm. The SEC is projected to win every single one of them. Wait, Alabama really? versus Houston. Well, it says next game. Does Alabama not play for a week? I thought they played before. Maybe not. Mm, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, they don't play for a week. They don't. Wow. So, Kim Palm even breaks that even further. Everybody's next game, the SEC is projected to win. Alabama versus Houston. Tennessee versus Texas Tech. Kentucky versus Southern. LSU, Georgia Tech. Auburn, Nebraska. Florida, Texas Southern. Arkansas, Charlotte. Um, Mississippi State, Minnesota, Texas A&M, TCU, Mississippi versus Ole Miss versus Western Kentucky, Vandy versus Temple, South Carolina, Georgetown, Missouri, Eastern Illinois, and Georgia, Jacksonville. I get that some of those are cupcakes, Kentucky playing Southern, Georgia, Jacksonville, Missouri, Eastern Illinois, et cetera, but there's some good ones. Alabama, Houston's game of the week. Tennessee, Texas Tech's a tough one. Um, Georgia Tech's shown that they can be – Trouble at times, LSU plays down. Minnesota's unbeaten. They play Mississippi State. Nebraska's in the Big Ten, could give problems to Auburn, right? Um, TCU's got one loss. Jamie Dixon's doing a good job down there. Uh, Texas A&M's playing them. Vandy's got to play Temple. Ole Miss against Western Kentucky. South Carolina against Georgetown. Neither team's very good, but it's going to be a battle between because they're similar. The SEC's projected to win every game for the next one. It's ridiculous. My sleeper team still, I think I said it last week. I think, even though they, I think they just lost to Oklahoma. Uh, I think Florida just lost to Oklahoma. If they I did. Luckily. They did. I still think this Florida squad is going to potentially maybe get up there to finish top three because they're still very talented. Um, however, though, I definitely agree. SC is the best conference in college basketball. No debate. Nothing y'all can say that would change my mind. So let's look ahead to this week of action. We only have a couple games midweek that we're going to talk about. This isn't the best because we've got something special playing, Peyton. If you want to go ahead and let them know, if people remember who's been with us in the past, how we're going to do some of the either the weekend games and, of course, the game of the week. We've already spoiled a little bit. It's going to be Alabama-Houston. There's not a better game in college basketball for the week. No, not at all. Our weekly pickups are going to be starting back up. Uh, actually, this week, we're going to post them tomorrow on a Monday. We're recording this on a Sunday. Um, so, however, we decided in the past, we've done it for the game of the day or game of the week, whatever you want to call it. For our pickums, we would used to go on a YouTube channel, um, and our show was called ECB In The Zone Plus. And we basically, me, Josh, and Tyler would review the game of the day. Some the example, the Kentucky Tennessee, if that was game of the day, and we would break go, it down and we would break form. it down in long form, and you guys can see us, and it'll be in video format as well, so you can see our you no know, expressions and stuff like that. Um, so we're gonna we're still gonna be doing that. We'll be bringing that back because we need some more content for our YouTube channel, and um, we might also doing game of the day because also there are some other good games on Saturday as well, like Notre Dame Kentucky stuff that that we might talk about on the show as well. 
but make sure you check out the YouTube channel because we'll be bringing more content to that this week, probably this maybe Thursday because that's normally where we record it. Yes, sir. So let's go ahead and get into the upcoming actions. How about the old Big East rivalry being renewed in Madison Square Garden this week? I think it's was a Tuesday night. I didn't write the day down. I think Tuesday. it's Tuesday night. Syracuse coming off the victory against Indiana against number six Villanova will be top five by them more than likely. Peyton, old biggies rivalry. This could has I'm gonna put it this way. Villanova, we know their offense. Four out, one in, create spaces for dribble drives and then kick back threes off of screens or whatever. The zone is big and long for Syracuse. Can Syracuse stay disciplined enough to not give up so many corner threes that Villanova is gonna try to hit them with? And protect the middle so they don't do what Indiana did. Go middle, hit a short you know, baseline, or as uh, Fran Fischel likes to say, the dunker's position. Or maybe that is it for Schiller, or maybe it's Jimmy Dykes. I mean, it's Jimmy Dykes. Jimmy dunkers. Dykes. Regardless, can Villanova, you know, they're going to shoot a bunch of threes. Syracuse is going to dare them to shoot a bunch because that favors the zone if they're not hitting. This could be an interesting one. Uh, before <clears throat> we get into predictions, kind of your thoughts on this. If is a big word because Villanova has shown these first couple of games, well, the first month of the season, that they are, are able to hit the outside shot. Um, and they can hit it consistently throughout the whole season, especially the first half, first month of the season. So that's a scare. That's a mismatch, I think, for Syracuse that you got to look out for is if Villanova is hitting shots, as I say, 42.6% from three for Villanova, ranked sixth in the nation, according to Ken Palm. And they've done that all season long so far. So that's something you have to, to look at if you're Syracuse. If you're giving up 110 points to Indiana, who's not known for hitting shots, more attacking the paint and getting it to TJD, imagine what Villanova can do if they're hitting shots like they've shown they can so far. Uh, so that's the number one thing you got to look out for Syracuse. The next three games, um, if we all agree that Villanova is good. They've only got one. They've played three big-time games so far. Um, actually, two. I apologize. No, three. Three, three. And they're one and two. They lost UCLA. They beat Tennessee, and they lose to Purdue. Their next three games in this next week and a half are brutal. Syracuse, Baylor, Creighton, that, and then Xavier, their next four. It's brutal. Wow. Villanova needs a marquee win. We all agree that they're good yeah. and potential Final Four good. But if they're not winning the marquee games, I don't know. We might have to look back. They've got the number four offense in the country. You mentioned three-point shooting. Here's a stat that you need to keep out against the zone. The hardest thing to do in a zone is rebound. Yeah. But Villanova's offensively, they're only getting 38, basically 31% of their offensive rebounds puts them 111 in the country. They're going to have to get some offensive boards because they're not going to hit every shot, obviously. They're yeah. going to have to get some offensive boards and get second, third, and fourth opportunities against the zone. If not, mm, I, I think for Syracuse, again, staying disciplined in the zone, hitting some shots of their own, and they're going to need their three-headed monster of Gerard um, and the Bayheim buddies. The Bayheim buddies. The Bayheim <laughs> buddies. Listen. Let's go. Double Bs. Uh, that's what we'll start calling them now, the Bayheim buddies. Yeah. Um, buddy the buddy and uh, Jimmy the buddy. <laughs> it sounds like wrestlers, right? Jimmy the buddy. Yeah. Um, maybe they're Canadian. They're great. Hey there, bud. Hey there, bud. Hey there, bud. Um, but anyways, I think they're going to have to play well. Prediction time. Prediction time. I've got Villanova 76, Syracuse 69. But I want to keep a caveat. Syracuse loves historically playing in Mass Square Garden. Yeah. They bring a huge fan base because obviously being Syracuse upstate New York, but a lot of fans in that region. 
I bet it's going to be a packed crowd because Nova travels well too. They'll go right up the highway right there from Philadelphia up to NYC. And it's going to be an old Big East feel in this game. I was going to mention that. I've got Villanova 76, Syracuse <coughs> 69, but don't be surprised if Syracuse don't feed off this energy of the New York City crowd. Yep. I was going to say the same thing. It definitely feels like an old Big East game when these two both teams are going head-to-head in the Big East Conference, especially MSG. That's the mecca of basketball in general, but it's definitely the, the home of the Big East Championship game. So definitely reminds me a lot of that. I have a lot of feels of the old Big East Conference. However, I think Villanova gets the job done. If this was not the case they're down now, I probably would have to get Syracuse um, just by, you know, by short margin. But, however, I think Villanova, they've hit shots so far this year, um, 42% from three. And um, if they can get some rebounds, I don't think Syracuse, they're not going to give up 110 points like they did against Indiana. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I, I think it's going to be maybe a little bit high scoring, not as high scoring as the Indiana-Syracuse game, but high 80s. I'll say Villanova wins 85 to 80, 79. Let's go for another one of this week. Big 10 action, which is stupid, but we've already said that. Indiana has not won at Wisconsin in 21 years. I'm 22, so I was one you over the last time they won. You've never seen Indiana win at Wisconsin. Nope, not at all. This might be their best chance in a while because Wisconsin, we know. Brad Davidson's having a great year. They, Greg Gard's doing a tremendous job at Wisconsin. I like this Indiana team. Coach Woodson, as a matter of fact, remember a couple of years ago, we just left uh, was last year or the year before, former Indiana guard, uh, Devontae uh, Green. Yeah. He tweeted out last night and he said, I wish I could have played for Coach Woody. Mm. People love him, man, and they love his system. And TJD responded. He, like, quote tweeted him. He's like, man, he said, Coach yells at us if we don't shoot. He goes, you would have loved him. You would have been in heaven. <laughs> Indiana's got some freedom. They just come off a Big Ten win against Nebraska. I just don't know if Indiana can hit enough shots consistently. We know TJD is going to eat up inside. He's going to get another 30 and – 12 or something, right? Yeah. But three-point shooting percentage is still kind of the bugaboo for IU, despite being getting there, right? Love Tamar Bates. I think as a freshman, he's one of the most undervalued freshmen in college basketball. But sometimes, being a freshman, he takes bad shots, right? Like Syracuse, they want him to shoot, and he got baited into it. Um, So so it's interesting, right? Indiana's shooting. They're actually shooting well from three, 37%. It's not, that's pretty good. It, it don't feel like it sometimes, though, it definitely right? definitely does not. Here's the thing, Indiana, though. They're 62nd in offense. Eh, definitely needs to be better, but they're top 15 defense. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. They hold teams. They're sixth in the nation on defense. Teams are only shooting 40%. Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin, um, that could be an issue. Wisconsin's got a top 20 defense as well, so it's going to be a defensive struggle, I think. I think it's just going to be a matter of hitting shots. Wisconsin's only shoot 31, 32% from three themselves, despite Brad Davidson being off to a great start. But team, they're 41st in the nation. Teams are only shooting 28% against them. And teams inside the arc are only shooting 39%, puts them fourth in the nation. So it's going to be a defensive struggle. Indiana needs Xavier Johnson to play better. He came in highly touted from Pittsburgh as a big-time scorer and defender, and I don't think he's been off to the best start yet to show that potential. 
Indiana needs Xavier Johnson to help out TJD, Race Thompson, Miller Cop, and the, and the works. Parker Stewart's off to a good start. I think it comes down to, honestly, both defenses are going to be solid. Both are going to be crowding you and making things difficult. If Indiana wins, I think Xavier Johnson needs 15 or more to break out of this and go back to the Pittsburgh Xavier Johnson. If not, I've got Wisconsin hitting just enough shots to win 68-62 to continue the streak at the Cole Center. I agree. I think Wisconsin gets the job done. Talking about Indiana and the top 15-ranked defense, um, I'm not actually sure where the stats is from because I'm looking at this on Bleacher Report, but they are 12th in block percentage or blocks per game, 6.3 blocks per game for IU squad. So that's a lot to talk, to talk about how great their defense is. So if you're driving the lane, they can block your shots and they can consistently do that. Um, TJD is a big main reason for that as well. Um, great two-way player. But however, I think the streak continues, like you said. Uh, I think Indiana's going to be able to hit some shots, but it's going to come down to it. They're not going to be able to hit as, as much shots as they did against Syracuse. Um, and they're definitely going to do what they did against Syracuse as well. However, this is going to be a good game. I'll say it's a little bit more high scoring than what you said. 75 to 70. Yeah, 75 to 70. I go with that. Wisconsin gets the job done. Continues the streak. You agree on Xavier Johnson? Yeah, he had four points, like four points and like four assists in the Syracuse game. Yeah, he's got to be better. Foul trouble hurting. He was in foul trouble. Yeah. Um, and then the other one we'll talk about, number seven, Texas, at number 25, Seton Hall. Seton Hall holds home court historically pretty well. Um, Kevin Willard, what he's done at Seton Hall since he's been there has been remarkable. Phenomenal job at the Hall, getting them back in the tournament, in contention for Big East titles. Um, Texas, of course, has the one loss to Gonzaga where they got bullied. But since then, and to be fair, they've played a bunch of cupcakes, but they're starting to get an identity. Top six or 16th offense, 25th in defense. Stats are looking good against a bunch of cupcakes, but this is their first challenge since Gonzaga about a month ago. And it's on the road in a true road game. Ken Palm favors Seton Hall 68-67 in this clash, which is honestly interesting to me. Seton Hall has a win already over Michigan. And who else did they beat? Oh, my God. Oh my, I just went blank. Well, Michigan was it. They lost Ohio State. Oh, but they've played a couple big-time opponents. But, like I said, Ken Palm phased them being at home. Seton Hall, um, top 50 in both offense and defense as well. Or, yeah, top 50 in offense and defense. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a good one. Seton Hall doesn't shoot the three ball very well right now, shooting 31% towards the bottom in the nation. But they also don't turn the ball over a whole lot. I think at the end of the day, this is another game beat Texas back on the right track. It's another road game. Will the environment be as crazy as Gonzaga? Probably not. They won't face the type of opponent Gonzaga was. But don't sleep on Seton Hall. Jared Roden, Bryce Aiken, and Kadari Richmond, very, very good. Richmond's the Syracuse transfer. I guess the long and the short of it is I think Texas is going to continually get better. I think this is a tall task for Seton Hall right now, even though being at home, I've got Texas 86, Seton Hall 72. Home court advantage has been an extreme factor in this first month of college basketball season. And it's going to be all season long, I think, especially when we get to, into deep conference play, which hashtag conference play, by the way, um, so that I can say that now. I think even though home court advantage matters, and that's in Seton Hall's favor, and yes, I can see why Ken Palm predicts Seton Hall to come up with the upset here, Texas is in desperate need of a marquee win. Their first game of the season – or First couple of games of the season, they play or the first test 
They played Gonzaga at Gonzaga and got demolished. They need redemption from that. They need a big marquee win, and it's nothing you can't do better than going on the road and facing a, facing a top 25 Seton Hall team, a tough top 25 Seton Hall team, and beating them on the home court and getting a true road win. So, like you said, I think Texas wins. Um, I think Texas wins, let's see, 83 to 74. Yeah, again, I think Seton Hall's a tournament team and Texas continue getting better. Um, Timmy Allen, since the Gonzaga game, has been – he's been really good. He's yes. been really good. So, it would be very interesting to kind of see the progression of both. But, yes, I'm with you. I have um, – Texas. Texas, thank you. I was trying to pull up a key stat here, but it wouldn't pull up. So, Whatever. Whatever. Peyton, as we start to wrap up the show, as we do as always, let's go into our Shooting Stars Sinking Ship segment. Let's start with the, the number one shooting star from this past couple of weeks. Peyton, you have to go down to Tuscaloosa to Nate Oates' ball club in Alabama. Alabama, the Clemson Todd, Roll Tide Wall. It's the only time you ever hear me say that. I'm saying it more for basketball than football. But however, yeah, they've done. They went and did it. Went to Seattle, basically. I mean, I know it went on actually Gonzaga's home court. But that's a it was in game. Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Um, so it's basically a home game for Gonzaga. All the fans are there to watch this game. And it was a top 25 matchup. And Alabama was whooping their ass, had them down 16 in the first half. Yeah, Gonzaga kept it close, made it close there. But Auburn did what they did. Jaden and Field went off with 28 and 9. Alabama's legit this year. And, uh, you know what? My apologies to Nate Oates and you know, Alabama fans. Yeah, they've won three in a row since the Iona loss, and they're seven and one. We're going to find out more about them here this week when they are in this next week when they play Houston and Memphis in the next week or so. So, good start for Alabama. Definitely in the shooting uh, shooting stars are 16th right now. They'll be probably closer to the top 10 when the rankings come out tomorrow. The second shooting star, Peyton. This is for all of our North Carolina and people, North Carolinians, the Tar Heels, whatever you want to call them, North Carolina. Finally starting to figure it out, as we mentioned earlier, with the blowout win against Michigan. Uh, Hubert Davis, I think he's starting to find his footing a little bit because there's an adjustment. You can be an assistant coach for a long time, but when you, as soon as you become a head coach, some of those things you don't always think about start to creep up and maybe some nerves and figuring out your spot and your role because now you're the guy. It takes an adjustment period. We seen it last night in a high school game, a good friend of mine head coach and you could kind of see he trying to tell. figure out the nerves right but i think he's figuring it out and he's got a good carolina club so i think carolina is only better from here and it's it's even more question when you're falling off of one of the greatest coaches of all time and Roy williams so that's definitely adds a lot more pressure than just falling off of uh or following a head coach or when he was the assistant for so long but however he's done a good job it's going to take some time before he can you know continue to do this and continue off the success he's had so far in year one of his coaching career but however i think they're definitely going to finish second to duke in the conference and i think that the defense keeps getting better and better every game if they continue to hit shots like they did against michigan and then who knows? They could be a, a potential candidate to get up to the Sweet 16, maybe go farther. Absolutely. And our final shooting star, I did not expect this under first-year head coach, but how about the 8-1 and one Wake Forest Demon Deacons? The first time in a while we've seen Wake Forest – I guess it's the second year. I said first, but I was thinking Danny. It's the second year Wake Forest. But Steve Forbes, 
doing the damn thing at Wake Forest right now. They've got one loss and a tournament against LSU. They've got wins against Oregon State, a tournament team from last year. Northwestern, eh, it's still a win. And then Virginia Tech, we think, is a good tournament team. They're unbeaten in the ACC now, 1-0. And they're 8-1 overall. And if you look at their upcoming schedule, it looks very favorable until they get to Louisville on December 29th to go, what, 9, 10, 11, 12. They can be 12-1 rolling in Louisville in the top 25 team. They've got USC Upstate. BMI could give them some issues a little bit, but Charlotte, Boston College, they could be 12 and 1 heading to Louisville. Definitely could be. And um, yeah, it's definitely a shock. I know it's one conference game they've played so far, but the 1 0, them and Boston College, what you said, top of the conference so far, one game into the ACC play. Um, yeah, they're tied 1 0 right now. But yeah, definitely the surprise so far to me is definitely the way Wake Forest and the Demon Deacons have been playing so far throughout the season, despite, you know, losing to LSU. Um, and then the sinking ships. I know this will have a little controversy at the last one, but we'll explain. The first one, Peyton's Memphis and Penny. Penny is in dire straits. Um, a couple weeks ago, I praised them because I thought this will be the turning year. But since then, they have three straight losses now. And Penny's quoted as saying he was talking to Seth Davis, and Seth pushed the post in an article last night about it. Penny said that there's turmoil in the locker room. It, yeah. There's so much negativity. And Monty Bates came to him and told him not to start him. He said he didn't want to start. I think there's some hatred going on as far as, like, maybe some of the veteran guys who are jealous of Imani and Jalen Duran, and they're losing, so that don't help. They're not shooting. They cannot score. Their offense looks so elementary. It's no offense. They have a great defense. They can defend people. But offensively, it's a it's a ball screen. People stand around. Let's chuck up a shot early on in the shot clock. Let's not do it. If we'll try to dribble drive, and then if we get there, we don't know what else to do with it. Memphis is in some real trouble. Some real trouble. I don't know how you can have that great of defense and that piss poor of an offense. At least Kentucky last year, they had sort of the similar issue. But at least Kentucky ran a little bit of offense. Same with Louisville. Yeah, same with Louisville. At least you run some offense. You just couldn't score. No. Memphis can't run offense. Forget no. scoring. No. And especially in the Ole Miss game, there was a lot of times where the game would be close and they'd get late shot, uh, late shot clock shots to just five seconds ago, the shot clock, and they'd throw something up. And I've heard a lot of people talk. You mentioned Amani Bates. I want to talk about him just real quick here. I've heard a lot of people talk about him, calling him overrated and stuff like that. Let's not forget, this kid's supposed to be a high school senior this year. Yeah. He is 17 years old. He's playing in a good, what you know, should be a good Memphis team, playing under a very, very talented uh, former player and Penny Hardaway has a lot of ties to the NBA. That's a lot of pressure on a 17-year-old kid. He's not just a normal freshman um, like Paul Mancaro or Chet Holmgren coming in, who's a polish and just knows what they're going to get themselves into. He is supposed to be a high school senior. Give him a break. Let him – how should I say this? Give him time. It's month of the season. You can't call a kid overrated. Yeah, he's it, still figuring out, like, how the pace and the structure of the game. You can be great in high school – but college is different. Yeah. Even if a guy doesn't have a former five or four star by his name, you got some of these dudes who juniors, seniors came in as a two and three star that's developed and physically mature and knows the game. They're just going to whoop your ass until you figure it out. That's a, yeah. I now remember what I was trying to say, or my main point I was trying to get to was um, the main criticism of him 
for a money base was his shot selection. Of course, his shot selection is going to be poor when you only have like three seconds, four seconds left to get on a shot clock and you got to force something up. That's not on him. That is on Penny Hardaway, the coach himself. He's got to do something different. Stop playing him at point guard. Put yes, him at forward. small forward. Yes, I agree. Oh, my That's God. That's on Penny. That is on Penny Hardaway's uh, conscience. Imagine if Imani kept his original commitment to Michigan State. They've already got point guards. Max Christie would have dished out some dimes to him, and Tom Izzo would have that kid playing off the ball, and he would probably be averaging 22 a game right now. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, There's a difference, man. You can go because Penny's a legend, and I, I really want to see Penny succeed. But there's a difference in having a proven coach who knows how to do stuff than going with a trendy guy who has got a big name that maybe – you know, Penny was a good high school coach, a good AAU coach, but that's different. It's high school. You can win with just talent. Yes. You don't need system necessarily. You don't even need one offense. Just give your player and give him an ISO situation. And that's it. College, you can't do that. You got to run some stuff. You got to you got to scheme some stuff up and not you want offense. And I agree. He should have went to Michigan State. That's on him. However, the players, I know why he wanted to go to Memphis is because he just wants, you know, Penny all the way I mentioned, it has NBA. Um, he has NBA guys. He can get them to the NBA quicker, but it's it's not a good deal. I like to see him come back for a sophomore year and maybe transfer um, to you know a better program, but he's not going to. I think he's going to the NBA, unfortunately. Yeah, second seeking ship, and this for obvious reasons. They've lost two games now. Oh, hold on, I had that pulled up. Where'd that go? Um, uh, Big Ten. Where are, Where are we at? Big Ten. Big Ten. Big Ten. Right. Uh, yeah, there's currently five and three. Yes. Not a marquee win on their resume yet. And they just lost their head coach. Losers of two in a row. Uh, team in turmoil. That's got, I mean, like I said, Fats Russell, Kodas Wahab, Eric Ayala, et cetera, et cetera. Should be a better Maryland team. New head coach, coach, whatever, fires, quits, whatever. Early season, you have to put them on sinking ships. Yes, I agree. Now, losing the two games that they lost in a row, we talked about it was Louisville and Virginia Tech, two tournament teams, we would say. Um, two teams that will be mid-tier in the conference, ACC conference. But so Fats Russell, he's not producing right now. Hasn't had a good start to the season. Kudoswa has been solid, though. He's been the key to keep them, you know, their head above water. But, yeah, they lost the coach, lost two in a row. Definitely on the downhill slope for Maryland, the Turpins. And then the last one, this is going to cause controversy, but let's explain. Yes, please do. We have Gonzaga, but that doesn't mean that we think Gonzaga is like Memphis or Maryland and it's fucking awful. No. It's because Gonzaga set such a precedent for themselves that the fact that they've lost two of three and struggled against Tarleton State has made us just dive them a little bit. We don't – basically what we're saying is they're not as good as we originally thought, but they're still really good, if that makes sense. They're not great. They're just really good, yes. but that still qualifies for kind of a sinking ship in it's a way. Still, yeah, it's still on a down. They may slope. not be sinking, but there's a leak in the boat that they got to fix. They got to fix it immediately. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I know people's going to question, like, what, how can you pit them on sinking ships? The two teams they lost to you is Duke and Alabama. That's two top 25 teams. Yeah, well, I mean, you struggled against Tarleton State with down one point in the second half. Put up 68 points when you normally averaging about 80 to 90 points per game. It's just, I, I mean, what can I say? Drew Timmy in that game against Tarleton State had 10 points himself. So, I mean, 
they're definitely, you know, peaking a little bit over the edge, but not quite there. And they're going to bounce back because they play, obviously, in a weak conference, even though it's definitely a lot better <laughs> yeah, it's, than it's it, been in like the past like decade. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so, yeah, we want to explain that. But in all fairness, that kind of qualifies them. So, uh, Gonzaga – they look normal again, right? We <laughs> thought at the, after the blowout of Texas and UCLA that, oh, shit, here we go. But they look normal. They look very normal. Um, Andrew Nimhart has got to be better. Yes. He was great against UCLA. Tremendous. He was okay against Duke. He was but, good against Texas. Um, they're going to need their backcourt. Him, Strother, Rasir Bolton, uh, Hunter Salas, all them. They're going to have to step it up. They're not hitting shots and all the pressure relies on – you know, and, and we found out they don't play from behind very well. Gonzaga's a front-running team. They're like if, Virginia. If they can, yes, if they can jump out on you, and then you're feeling the pressure. Oh, they'll just. It's like a. It's a, Cook would appreciate this. It's like a jujitsu guy. Yeah. If they can get your back, you're in trouble. It's over. Because they'll they'll let you slowly move yourself into because you're panicking. They'll let you slowly move yourself into positions you want to go. And the more you try harder, the better it is for them. Right, and they'll eventually till they choke you out. Well, that's what Gonzaga does. If they get up and jump you up 10, 12 points early, now you feel the pressure because, shit, we got to get this back, and then you make mistakes, and Gonzaga continues to choke you. But when they're behind and get smacked, we've seen against Alabama and Duke, eh, yeah. <laughs> and even against Baylor. Oh, definitely against Baylor. Yes. So the key is you got to come out and have a hot start against Gonzaga and smack them first. Get them. Got to land the first blow of the game. Yep, got to smack him first. Let's move on, finish the show out, Peyton. Let's go to the shout-outs. Yes, sir, shout-outs. I'm going to do mine. Uh, I think a lot of head coaches don't get enough credit, so I'm going to give my four shout-outs to head coaches. Starting over in Minnesota, Ben Johnson, first-year head coach of the Golden Gophers, loses literally just about everybody. Everyone. Marcus Carr is gone. Jamal Mashburn Jr. is gone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All he does is start the Golden Gophers off 6-0. <laughs> Six and zero. They may not have played the best competition, but they're six and zero with a essentially a depleted roster. That's a great job. Second one, easy. Nate Oates, Alabama. Enough said. We, I mean, tremendous what he's done. <coughs> Third, Tommy Lloyd at Arizona, taking over in a profile or a program in some disarray, loses some key guys, and uh, James Akinjo transfers out. No longer Jamal Baker there takes over, like I said, a, a program that's been under some investigation, comes down from Gonzaga, and all he's done is have them unbeaten and going to be a top-10 team come Monday. Um, Christian Coloco has been phenomenal. He's been so good for Arizona. Yeah. Arizona will be a top-10 team. Good job on Tommy Lloyd. That's all him. And then the fourth one, again, about to be number one for the first time in program history come Monday afternoon. Matt Painter, despite the fire painter that we get from JRO, which is a <laughs> Purdue fan, ironically, he's tremendous. Ever since he's been there, at least regular season, he always has Purdue in contention. They easily could have made the final four of the year. Virginia wins. He's got another team that this year, if everything stays healthy and they continue to play at this level, they're going to be in the final four because they defend. We've talked about it. They defend. They score. The number one scoring offense in college basketball, they're plus 25 margin of points per game difference. It's tremendous. He's built him a roster, and he's owned in the state of Indiana. You look at their roster and how many guys in the last couple seasons, it's Indiana kids, Mason Gillis, uh, Eric Hunter Jr., Brandon Newman, 
um, Caleb first starting this year, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at upcoming seniors in high school this year, juniors, um, a kid, I'll give a shout out, Fletcher Lawyer from Homestead, four-star kid here in the state of Indiana, put up 27 on a powerhouse in Carmel last night. Purdue bound, another big time wing guard backcourt that can shoot and score. <laughs> He's got the ball rolling at Purdue and number one team in the land, man. So shout out all four of those coaches. Three shout-outs for you coming my way. Starting off, Christian Brown from Kansas. He lit it up in the St. John's games. I told you that fun little story of him, you know, going off in like a time frame of like four minutes from the time I left the high school game to the time I got to my house. But he had played 35 minutes, 31 points, eight rebounds, four assists, 10 of 16 from the field, two for four from the three-point line, nine of 10 from the free-throw line, plus a minus of 22. Um, three steals to his name as well. Not really much of a defender, but he's shown he can get some steals when it counts. Uh, Big-time game for a big-time athlete like himself. Uh, he came to Kansas to do exactly what, you know, he just did against St. John's, and that's score the basketball. Kansas, fun for good. My next shout-out, Walker Kelsler from Auburn. In his last four games, he has averaged. He's got a double-double in all of his four games. We talked about it last week with Cook. And I mentioned Auburn as one of those teams I think can potentially get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight and finish top three in the SEC Conference. Jabari Smith is a superstar, top three freshman in the nation. But it was, it was talked about last week with me, you, and Cook that he needs help. And you specifically said Walker Kessler needs to step up. Well, his last three games he's has. Double-double in every game, he's stepping up huge, and he's showing why he was a four-star, actually a five-star when he had committed to North Carolina last year. Um, so those are two shout-outs. My last shout-out, which I'm just adding to the top of my head, that just happened, Kiana Smith going to the women's game, most important going to Louisville. I think she's a junior for Louisville this year. She's a sophomore junior. I can't actually remember. Don't quote me on that. But she just had an historic – uh, accomplishment, scoring over a thousand points for Louisville and a career at the Louisville Cardinals. Um, anytime you can do that, Josh, it's always a big time accomplishment. So shout out to her and shout out to all three of my shout outs. So let's move on to bank on it, Peyton. I don't have one for this week. I couldn't find a good one. So I'm going to consider this a future bank on it. Bank on it. This time next year, Rick Pitino is the head coach of Maryland. I hope. I fucking hope. That'd be great. I love it. I tell you what, if they play when they play Indiana, if he is the head coach, I am going to that fucking game. Right. I will go to that game. I um, mean when they play Purdue. But I hope that happens. My bank on it. Uh, I bet it. I banked on Kansas losing. I banked on um jo uh, Cook's team to lose. So now it's your team. Now it's your team's time to lose, potentially. Probably the complete opposite. Notre Dame, Saturday night. I don't know what time that game tips Saturday off. Afternoon. Saturday afternoon at Notre Dame. My boy gets a job done. Will it be two in a row? Yeah. And yeah. one last year. Going to hit a barrage of three-pointers. That's what they do. They're going to spread it out, hit a lot of threes, um, potentially rebound the basketball. Kentucky, it's going to be a high-scoring game. I'm excited to watch that. But Kentucky goes down. Two road games. Big-time game. Notre Dame gets a job done. Bank on it. Revenge game, though. Watch out for the Cats. Well, with that being said, Peyton, wrap it up to episode 91. Um, we're starting to get to that point of the season where some of the big-time non-conference games are wrapping up. We're heading towards conference play officially, the turn of the new year. It's getting fun because college football is ending. NFL's got a few more weeks. 
And then college basketball takes center stage. So I'm excited for all that. Hope you guys are having a good time preparing, getting ready for Christmas and watching, of course, college basketball. Peyton, don't let them forget. Use code ECB at checkout for man, at manscaped.com for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And don't forget, fellas, take care of your balls if you want more booty calls. <laughs> oh, yeah, now it's my turn next week to come up with something. Take care of them balls if you want more booty calls. With that being said, for episode 91, I'm Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Moon. And you guys have a great week. We'll see you down the road for episode 92. Boom! Boom.